Hello, welcome to We Don't Talk About The Weather, political discussion that to the uninitiated may just sound like screaming and crying. I'm here with Hugh. Hello. And I'm Adam, and we're here to talk about this week's news. Yep. Uh, what have you been up to this week? I went down to Medway. Oh shit, yeah, yeah, of course you did, yeah, yeah. Um, Holly has a pilot being filmed in what was Kayad. Oh, the, Kent, art, the Kent art, Institute of Art yeah, Design. Yeah, the art at the top of um, the sort of top There's of chat. Famous alumni come from there: Billy Childish, Tracy Eamon. Trace, Billy Childish was kicked out. Oh, okay, but he was, you know, he, he went there. there for a bit. Mm. But um, so yeah, I haven't been. I, don't, I can't remember the last time I was in Medway. It's probably with you. It's probably been. Have you not? Have, has, it, has it been that long? Because we were there yeah, what three or four years ago. I mean, I go back yeah. regularly because my family. Yeah, I've been back to Maidstone to see friends, but I haven't been back to Medway. Medway. And I first time I saw Rochester's new station, mm. very shiny. Yeah, that's a bit shit. it's in a better um, place, but yeah. the station just feels like every other station. But I think it was a very sunny day on Monday, so mm. like driving in is like always forgets that you get into Rochester and Chatham. Mm. And it's like, like walk, I was walking across the field down to um, Chatham Station to meet my mum. I was like, oh, Medway is actually quite pretty. You can see from the top, you can see like the river, mm-hmm. and you can see St Mary's Island. You can't see that St Mary's Island is built on toxic waste. Yeah. It just looks quite pretty. I believe and, they built that into the blueprints. <laughs> and then, as I was like walking down to the station, I saw a shirtless man with a knife scar across his chest, an endless amount of broken glass, and what was probably human shit all over the place. <laughs> so then it was like, oh, okay, yeah, Chatham's still Chatham. Chatham yeah. doesn't change. Yeah. Chatham never changes. <laughs> it's invulnerable. Although Rochester's changed quite a bit. They've got I saw like a, a board game cafe. There's a, yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's as fast as you run away from it. All of you people who want to move out of London, right? I understand it's very expensive to live here. But don't think that you're leaving because like you're leaving aside like the bullshitty gentrification stuff. Because oh, no, it's right. following you wherever you go. You're getting board game cafes. That's you're, that getting, game... you're getting steak and lobster restaurants. Yeah. You're getting everything. That, that board game cafe, I can guarantee, was opened by someone from Shoreditch. Mm-hmm. Who probably, probably from Medway, who went to live in Shoreditch for a bit and then didn't like it and came back and decided to open a board game cafe. I wouldn't say... I mean, maybe I'm wrong. Not a great deal of disposable income for that kind of thing. Well, in Rochester. In Roche- I suppose Rochester's different. Rochester's different. It gets loads of Also, there's a, lot more, there's a lot more disposable income in Medway now because of the universities. Yeah, I guess so. But anyway, yeah, yeah, that's what I did this week. I went down to yeah. Medway. And I got sunburned. <laughs> well, of course. Yeah, because that's what happens. You step outside your house and yeah. that happens. Um, it leads us quite nicely into one story that I just couldn't ignore this week. Um, a Kent school criticised for giving pupils a slave auction worksheet. Oh, this was... Um, this a, was, was Rochester Ro- Grammar School. When I read that, I did assume it was our school, but it wasn't our school, was it? It was no. the one across the road. It was the girls' school. Was it the girls' school? Yes, it's Rochester Girls' Grammar. Or was it Rochester Grammar for Boys? Well, Rochester there a... Grammar... No, there's, a, there's, Roch- there's, there's our one. There's Chatham was... Grammar for Boys. Yeah. yeah. There's, there's our one, which was Rochester... Um, Sir Joseph Williamson's Rochester Mathematical School for oh, Boys. Wow. Um and then there was the girls one across the road, which just got called Rochester Grammar because yeah. they don't deserve fancy words. <laughs> um, but yeah, it was that school. So and yeah, so what did they do? So the year eight students at the grammar school were asked to examine the characteristics of slaves, listed as sixteen lots, and were told to choose the best slaves to suit their business with a budget of a hundred pound. Under the heading "Slave Auction: Lots to Be Sold Today," the worksheet listed lot three: two crewmen slave, male slaves, freshly imported from Liberia. Very good condition. Lot four, two chamber slaves, one male, one female. At 28, they offer good breeding potential. <laughs> Lot seven, four Yoruba males, aged about 21. Three are very strong, one less so. 
And at the foot of the document, it read, Consider what, so what sort of slave your business will need. Examine the characteristics of the slave in slaves in Source A. Can you find any that you could use? <laughs> um, that's fucking ridiculous. Well, it's the kind of person that does that, that ends up putting that job ad, that um, job advert, like that um, theatre in Vauxhall. Where's oh, yeah. <laughs> um, This week. Like a letter complaining... Uh, complaining about complaining, how lazy your slaves are. Complaining that a 15k theatre assistant job in Vauxhall isn't really pulling in the stayers. Not a theatre assistant job. Secretary in a theatre. <laughs> but, um... Yeah, but that's like, this... Look, here's the thing, right? I can understand wanting to... I don't know anything about the context of how this was taught. I don't know yeah. what was around it. But I trust enough kind of... Uh, British uh, Afro-Caribbean scholars who said this is atrocious like it it puts you directly in the slave owners in the slave owners mindset rather than thing I don't know what context it was taught in so I couldn't say either way I imagine it probably was done in that one but I can't help escape the feeling that someone put this together as like a um like, oh, I'll tell you what, we'll do history and we'll shove some entrepreneur training in there as well. <laughs> it was like, <laughs> Kill two birds with one stone, sorry. <laughs> a fun historian. Yeah. A fun historian. Who... No, because the people who shove entrepreneurialism into every fucking subject, they're not the fun people. They are the politically minded people. They're the mm. ones who sit on the school boards and things like that. Yeah. And the education boards. I'm trying to think if we, any of our history teachers would have done anything like that. Yes. What, own slaves? <laughs> I can actually yeah. no I two of them one. probably descended from slave owners mm. um, well, I can think of one obviously no names but I can think of one who was from Rhodesia and he called it Rhodesia oh yeah we had, did, well, did we have two we had a couple of teachers who referred to it as Rhodesia uh, maybe I definitely had we had one. a technology teacher who was, um, an, who was an engineer in Rhodesia and was very upset that um, he had to leave but um, <laughs> he was very nice they all were. <laughs> he was a very good slave owner. <laughs> he was one of the good ones. <laughs> yes. Um, but yeah, it's it's a fucked up thing to do. Like it's and it shows a complete um, disconnect of the from of the modern world. Like you can guarantee the person who wrote that lesson plan doesn't have any black friends. <laughs> it was just like yeah, you're examining primary sources as if that's <laughs> like the excuse was that um, it helped people get into the mindset of how, how people were. And it's like, well, it helped you get into one very particular mindset. Yeah. But like, as it, and get over the horror of slavery. Well, it ties into the, but, the, the teaching of the British Empire is only taught as if it's a good thing. Yeah. So you, teach, you teach, teach about slavery from the perspective of slave owners rather than from the perspective of slaves. <laughs> and there were more slaves than there were slave owners. <laughs> it, that's what makes me think of it. Like, because you can get over the horrors of the Middle Passage by examining those things as you can externalize it you mm. can look at it as a source and kind of get the horror from that what you get out of kind of being from the from the perspective of the slave owner unless they're preparing a whole new generation of slave owners you know well, it's a tough marketplace out there it's technically illegal um, you know, they've made some big strides with slavery in Libya, um, and, uh, you know, <laughs> yeah. northern Syria, places like that. Just, there's still a long way. There's very, a lot of open markets. China, need, China's a dead duck. We just need you an, go to, uh, an enterprising app creator <laughs> to create some kind of app for slavery. Something like Uber, for, but for slaves. Yeah. <laughs> like, um, there's those, um, like, TaskRabbit. <laughs> Have you seen that? I've oh, seen yeah, Task yeah. Rabbit, yeah. Yeah, so it's just that, but then enforced by the police. 
<laughs> there used to be a thing, what was it, Mechanical Turk, before like apps and things like that. Yeah. There was something, I think it was Yahoo, it yeah. might have been Google, I can't remember, who did exactly the same thing as that. Like, TaskRabbit's not even like an original idea. No, of course, none of them are, really. It's like Uber for all their stuff. It's like, hey, we're a taxi. Yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah, but yeah, it's, it's it just up and sh- it just reminded, it. It it just nice reminded see, me. It was nice to see our home in the news. <laughs> yeah, it's always it's always nice to see Medway yeah. get a little bit of you know. Well, you know, the last yeah, it's usually it's either it's like there's only so many cars you can burn. Well, yeah, that's the thing. The last time I saw it was when um there was a spate of car burnings in Chatham mm-hmm. where my mum's car was set alight by um it was like I think it was like two seven year olds who were just going around Waterslade Estate setting fire to cars. <laughs> My mum had to go at me about it on Monday. She was going on and on about it because she just filled up the petrol tank, mm-hmm. and there was change in the um, in the glove box for the um, for like parking tickets and stuff. <laughs> and it had become fused to the car. She's still furious about that. Yeah, that's um, that's the, the news yeah. of Medway. <laughs> Medway racism. Uh, on to other news today. More immediate news. Uh, this actually happened this morning. Um, BBC Pay mm. has been made public. Uh, what the BBC pay their their big stars who earn over 150k. So it's not really that much of a surprise that the kind of top earners are like Chris Evans, Gary Lineker, and Graham Norton. Hmm. Like I don't know, I've not seen anything with Chris with Chris uh, Chris Evans in it, it. But like Gary Lineker's match of the, the day, radio and, uh, Graham Norton's got their primetime chat show. Yeah, but um, that thing is the pay for Graham Norton doesn't even include that chat show. Because oh, was it like independent? Show, uh... That chat show is his independent company, and they haven't released the, the pay that independent companies get, which is why the, the highest paid actor on the BBC is Charlie off Casualty rather than Benedict Cumberbatch. There's a lot of them on there who, like, you kind of suspect, yeah, they are paid because it's their program, it's, it's their yeah. name on the program, so they have that independent mm. kind of fee structure or whatever. But there's um, the thing that was being talked about was like the women are being paid less. Mm hmm. One of the things, that, yeah. One of the things that isn't really, I've noticed, hasn't been, wasn't really being talked about was how all the production staff are paid pennies. <laughs> They're all paid a pit. The number of um, unpaid internships yeah. as well. They literally they can pay people off the back of that. Yeah, but um, like the thing is, when they were talking about um, like they were talking on the radio about the women not being paid as much as the men, and that what we should do is cut the how much money the men earn. Yeah. But the real problem there is that it's because you can't be a female TV presenter after you've hit 40. Mm. Because then, you know, once you've hit that, once you've finally become unfuckable, then they don't want you on TV. Because why would you listen to the news told to you by a person that you don't want to have sex with? Yeah, exactly. Unless they're Hugh Edwards. (laughs) Some deep, dark secret. I'm trying to think of an old male news presenter. And I can't really name any of them apart from Hugh Edwards. I'm surprised John Humphreys is that far up. I listen to the Today programme in the morning oh, because I haven't boring. fucking moved on to anything else. I need. I, I like having a radio on in the morning when I'm getting up. To um, I tried to, but it got me. It, it, my blood pressure angry. was through the roof <laughs> by the time. By the time I got out the door, I was just like spurting blood out of my ears. You got arrested for damaging a tube car, just <laughs> punching your way through. Um, but yeah, I've got to find somebody else. I'm thinking like. I might go on to TalkSport or Radio 5 or something like that. Just something fucking unassuming. There's because that chat radio. John Humphreys is depressing. There's a new chat radio station that's... Um, Approaching everything got, with bemused arrogance. It's got George Galloway on. You can listen to Galloway. I don't know if he does the morning. <laughs> little hat. You won't be able to see his hat, at least. He won't be able to. He's got to hear his horrible views. He doesn't do the morning because you've got to wait for him to get that stupid fucking hat out of the washing machine. It's got a dry... <laughs> cl- it's got, he's got to wait for the dry cleaners to open because it's fucking on his head every day. Like Homer with his fat guy hat when he's a beast. <laughs> yeah. 
But um, yeah, so the pay thing, and the thing is, the reason why the pay was was made was like made public mm. was because the Tories just want to justify getting rid of the license fee. Yeah, it was a good way for them to. I mean, before they were quite as weak as they are now, because this was announced um, quite a few months ago. Yeah, um, it's a way of of tilting at the BBC, keeping them in line. Um, it helps with their their general project of getting rid of that kind of state funded institution. But at the same time, it's like it's the eternal problem with the BBC. For every good thing that they produce and every reason for existing that they make. Um, they have so many more reasons for fucking not for me not feeling sorry for them in any their current way. affairs stuff is just the worst anything yeah. to do with politics mm-hmm. and for all the stuff of you know the left wing bias of the BBC the person who was running the daily politics is now working for Theresa May he's head of communications yeah the producer of the daily politics has quit to become Theresa May's new director of communication yeah so stop telling me that they're left wing it's it, one of those like real things that really annoys me when like they're media people, right? Mm. Columnists, they they are media people, presumably done either like politics or some kind of like media degree at uni, in which they tell you how to break down media and how it's owned and how it's it's reproduced and mm. what kind of message it enforces. And if the lesson that you take from the BBC's coverage is it's left wing bias, that's insane. Yeah. The proper way to break it down is that it's government biased. Yeah. It always has been. It will never go. It never goes all in on the government. It gives them the due respect they that they believe that they deserve, yeah, even res- when they don't. The respect that normally only a young conservative thinks that they deserve. Mm. Yeah, uh, it's um, it's not that great. No. Right? It's, but yeah, it's very difficult. It's very difficult to feel sorry for them. As it is, it doesn't appear that like any of these people are anywhere near in the region that other. TV personalities get paid. Oh, God, no. Sky, ITV can all afford to pay their people more. Yeah, um, it doesn't. It's weird because it's stuck in that middle that middle area where it's not the BBC isn't this huge corporate behemoth. I mean, it'd have to be better organised to be a corporate behemoth. Mm. But it's also not like a young, like fresh startup giving no. people their first no. their first go. It's no, a very in a very weird kind of state. I don't know how other state broadcasters, RTE, and and like. I think they're a lot do. more efficient. Yeah. Because I think there is actually more state control of those ones. Yeah. There, whereas the BBC does have a level of independence. But also it has... It, I imagine that the Russian government doesn't actively try and kill RTE. Oh, no, I'm talking about Ireland is RTE. Oh, I, mean, Russia, you know, I mean, Russia, Russia today, today is more like... Yeah, it's, yeah. it's a different kind of thing. It's you know more I mean? of a... Like, like all of Russia's foreign policy, it's kind of like a... Tries to be as annoying as possible while <laughs> not stepping over the line. Yeah. You know, I, mean, I, I don't think the gov- I don't think like Al Jazeera is actively being. Is the government is actively trying to destroy Al Jazeera? Whereas no, other go- governments are actually actively yeah. trying to destroy Al Jazeera. Whereas, um, <laughs> whereas the British government doesn't like the BBC. No, no, it never has. No, I mean broadcasting and Barrett communism mm. was what it was called <laughs> in the Tories in the eighties. <laughs> yeah, if only. Yeah. Yeah, so that's the BBC. Yep, that was BBC. Um, next on the agenda, we have Trump. Trump's world tour. Ah, yeah. Oh, yeah, so Trump's been in France. And before we even say anything about France, I would like to say this is the third week in a row that we're talking about France. And I'd like to say that I am actually not racist. I'm not racist about the French. I have no problem with the French. The French are lovely people. Whenever I've been there on holiday, they're lovely people. They couldn't do enough for you. I have a very big... They've got great food. Lovely food. food. I don't like their food. I really don't like their food. But I don't like much food. Yeah. Um, I'm really picky with... Before you were vegan, did you enjoy a croissant or two or...? 
Well, yeah, but a croissant from France is no different from a croissant from Tesco's. <laughs> we got the recipe. <laughs> but I've got I've never had the thing of like French cuisine is like the best cuisine. Yeah. Except when I, before I was a vegan, I did want to eat an autolan because I wanted to eat something where I had to hide my shame from God. There's something quite beautiful about that. Everything I eat, I have to hide my shame from God. That's because you're disgusting. By atrocious table manners. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, so if Trump's been in France. Trump, he um, he said that Macron's wife was looking good for her age or something along those lines. <laughs> um, yeah, Trump was being Trump. And Macron just did... And was, the thing is, all the... Um, the horospacy of the liberals with regards to Oh yeah, they were dissecting his hug, they were dissecting his handshake, they were dissecting what he was wearing, mm. because, you know, there's nothing that two fucking newly elected world leaders could have to say to each other other than what are you wearing or what kind of handshake. Yeah. But I mean, you know, they've... They, they did their usual thing of overemphasising Macron's kind of strengths... And they're very like. There's one article was like, even in the face of Trump's sexism, Macron is a genius in diplomacy. What? Like how? He just agrees with who? He's like Trump. Yeah. He just agrees with who, whoever he's on the stage. He was on the stage with Netanyahu the other week mm. and was talking about how anti-Zionism is anti-Semitism. 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 Mm. Very good. <laughs> Cut that. <laughs> um, is anti-Zionism is anti-Semitism. Mm. And it's like, you're just saying the last thing you heard someone else say. Yeah. I, don't, I don't get where, his, where this worship comes from. Yeah. It's ridiculous. It's, um, it's weird, especially with the Israel thing, especially with, I think it's like at the moment they're stoking up tensions with the Lebanon again. Yeah. Is it the Lebanon or just No, Lebanon? no, no one's called it the Lebanon in years. It's just Lebanon. Okay, Lebanon. Yeah. But um, anyway, they're stoking up that. So it's like, oh, it's good they've got France in their back pocket. Starting to talk about the Golan Heights again. Mm. Mm. Uh, yeah. But yeah, so he's like, so Macron isn't a genius. He's a fucking idiot. And oh no, Trump said said something inappropriate to his wife and he didn't hit him on TV. Yeah. Isn't he such a caddy operator? It's like, uh. it's just, there's there's so many kind of things spilling out of the worship of, of Macron of like, yeah, just, just hit him. He should like do that thing for saying that about his wife. And it's like, Owen this Smith would have. This is fucking EastEnders. <laughs> Owen Smith would have. Yeah, Owen Smith had to beat off many, many <laughs> of people. Some of them bigger than Trump. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, yeah, so, ugh. It's, it, um, but yeah, with the Trump thing now, it's, um, it's brought up again the idea of Trump coming here. Yeah, yeah. And what did Trump say to Theresa May? That he wouldn't come here until she made it safe for him or made it so everyone <laughs> cheered him. Because he wants... It's it's special day. <laughs> it's awesome having a child king it is it's great it's like i love every second it's like macron was nice because every day has to be trump's birthday <laughs> and that's what he wants when he comes here and there were um there was on lbc they were talking about they were, they were talking about whether why is it that macron is able to have trump there without loads of protest yeah whereas if trump comes here there will be loads of protest mm. and you know you could talk about the french character you could talk about how great macron is of a leader or you could talk about the Massive powers they have in France to clamp down on protests at the moment. The emergency powers that Macron's looking to make permanent. Yeah, Um, and that'll be why. Um, But there were people phoning up that were fucking horrifying um, saying about how 
the left in Britain want to destroy it. They hate they hate white people, and that's why they hate Trump. LBC is horrifying. I should stop listening to it. There's so many crazy. <laughs> is there anything people. that people on LBC don't phone up and say? This is why the left want to destroy white people. Like, there's nothing. It's just universally applicable. No, you're right. Yeah. I'm just trying to have a <laughs> solid think there, but no. But, um, yeah. Yeah. Um, so, moving on to domestic stuff. Um, it's been a weird week for the Tories. Yeah. Um, they've had a, they had a couple of leaks over the weekend hmm. of cabinet members briefing against particularly Philip Hammond. Um, there were two separate leaks on Saturday and Sunday. Um, on Saturday, I believe it was, somebody briefed and said that Philip Hammond's deliberately working to frustrate Brexit and treating pro-leave ministers like pirates who have taken him prisoner. <laughs> That's <pretty> good. <laughs> the stuff that more people are focusing on is on Sunday. Um, obviously, they've been talking about lifting the 1% cap on public sector wages and... Philip Hammond was quoted by this anonymous cabinet source as saying, public sector workers are overpaid when you take into account pensions. And he said train drivers were ludicrously overpaid. Oh, he said um, he said that even a woman could do. Oh, yeah. Even, even he, The other thing was that he was reprimanded by Theresa May for saying even women could become train drivers. Well, yeah, they can. They're allowed to. <laughs> <laughs> it's just it, the implicit thing being yeah, that they would is... be able to be paid less as well. So it's a it's a triple whammy. <laughs> oh, God. It's that... God, the Tories are fucking appalling, aren't they? They're so horrible. It just reminded me of that bit in Thick of It where uh, Malcolm's going on about, like, you gave me this disease. You gave it. We're in that period. It's taken yeah. so quick to, like, accelerate into oh, yeah. it. And I heard Theresa May on the radio today. She was on... Um... She was on with Ian Dale. Ah. Um, and she's so broken. Her voice is so crackly and squeaky and she sounds rattled all the time. Even when sitting in a room with Ian Dale, <laughs> who obviously doesn't want to destroy her. <laughs> it's not a hostile interview. Well, the thing is that she's... I think she's been around long enough to realise now, in mm. the phase that she's in, any interview wherever, yeah. with anybody, It'd any discussion, any conversation with anybody, even especially a Tory, is likely to end up with knives in her. Yeah. Like, it's... She's there looking to get rid of her. I think the thing that... They I, are. The thing that I heard today, which was I thought was kind of shocking, was um, she saw the 1922 committee, the, the shadowy cabal of Tories that actually control the Conservative Party, yeah, yeah. who's told her that it was okay for her to get rid of any cabinet member. The... Implication there being that Go on, unless they sack them. <laughs> yeah, but the implication there being that unless they say it's okay, that the Prime Minister can't do anything anyway. <laughs> and it's like, what the fuck is this country? <laughs> I don't like this country. I'm leaving. <laughs> I can't think of anywhere worse. Um Well, you know, Syria, but like that's that's more due to extraneous factors. There's like a there, there was a a response from Kate Maltby in the uh The Guardian, who hmm. was David Cameron's something to do with his communications right okay and she's talking about the fact that like she doesn't recognize the tory party it's not her tory party anymore and she she just kind of starts talking about how like tory power brokers have always been ambitious but they haven't always been gamblers now it seems they are a year ago a friend and i left a referendum results party early and passed a lone brexiteer mp a young star occasionally tipped for the tory leadership that Drunkenly bellowing at a friend, <laughs> he roared with success. 
Sterling falling? Who the fuck cares if Sterling's falling? You'll all be right. I'll all be, I'll be all right. It's a revolution. Call me mad, but I grew up thinking the Conservative Party's existed to put the brakes on revolutions. <laughs> and it's just this weird kind of like, yeah, they've settled into this kind of pattern that Cameron put them on, where, I mean, they've, they've announced... Uh, like the pensions age is going to go up today. Yeah. They've announced another little uh, thing with uh, credit card uh, surcharges. Yeah. There's little policies here and there poking out of their fucking their their bunker. Yeah. Um, but it's still the same kind of kind of policies, like kind of uh, uh, like squeaking in through the through yeah. the gaps. You know, like centrist stuff. Yeah. Um, and it just it just makes me think of like I don't think people really understand what the Tories are, even when now that they're malfunctioning. I'm not sure mm. people really understand who the Tories are. It's like, they're not revolutionary in the traditional sense, no. but they've always thrived on bringing in people from outside. And when you're talking about, like, the leadership contest, the two, form, for, like, forerunners are, the, the two, like, frontrunners are, like, say, Jacob Rees-Mogg mm. and David Davis and uh, maybe, like, maybe Boris, right? They're all... What about Rudd? Uh, maybe she would be the but safe. She she, she'd be what they would call the safe pair of hands. But then she but had such an appalling. Exactly, Theresa May was the safe pair of yeah. hands. And there's an element where, when you're selecting, when you're looking at, at these these front runners that they like, they are all outsiders to a certain extent. Mm. I know Boris Johnson is like son of a fucking uh, is is the son of aristocracy. Went mm. to Eton. David Davis is like on the right. He's a bit more libertarian. And Jacob Rees-Mogg, obviously, you know, is, is, is Jacob Rees-Mogg. But, like, they are, to an extent, all outsiders. Mm. And you kind of misunderstand conservatism if you think of it as just putting the brakes on everything. What they want to do is they want to change things as much as possible in order to keep things roughly the same, to keep the structures the same. They're not just interested in maintaining the status quo. They're inter interested in maintaining a certain special set of relationships, mm. right? So, like, when you see the Tory party in turmoil, and actually, the interesting thing is when you see the Tory party not bringing in people from outside and not having anywhere to turn, that's when they're really in trouble because they've gotten themselves into the cul-de-sac of, like, their own their own kind of particular way of doing things. Yeah, It's just, I don't know, It this kind of thing... They're obviously on the fucking way out. Another yeah. general election coming up, they're going to get battered and they've got no ideas. But mm. I think it's better to kind of look at what they're not doing rather than what they are doing mm. in that sense, in like a kind of like high politics sense. Yeah. You know. Well, it's um, Theresa May's gone by conference, isn't she? Because hmm. then they can choose a new leader at conference. She can't, yeah, she, uh, she can't. I mean, if she's going to go. Ne like within the next year, she'll have to be gone by the conference because, like, she gets up there and makes her speech. The conference is going to be a basket case. Mm. It's that's mm. what I'm gone now. <laughs> um, speaking of wanting people gone, mm. yes, <laughs> I know what you're going to talk about now. You would have thought that with all the Tory turmoil, this would have been a great time to be the Labour Party and a unified Labour Party. A unified Labour Party, really. Fucking starting to turn mm. things around. Mm. Of course it didn't happen like that. Uh, Tony Blair came out at the weekend um, with a, an article published on his institute's website. His institute? The Tony Blair Institute for Global Change. He put his name on it. Of course he did. He put his fucking name on it. Um, and then another interview, I think, on Sunday as well, um, where he was talking about how he, would, he doesn't want Jeremy Corbyn to be Prime Minister. He, he Essentially, they wouldn't support him even if he looked like he could win. Yeah, 
that he would never support a left wing government. I he said yeah that, yeah he would never do he it. would never support a Corbyn government yeah whatever. Um, well, of course he wouldn't. He's totally fucking this. Left. This I'm going to read out some bits from this article because it's like it's it's amazing and it, we like Macron. We've kind of done Tony Blair a number of times, but like every time he pops up, I feel like it's necessary to to remind everyone really why he's a really prick. stuff him back down in his hole. <laughs> yeah. Um, the article's really really weird. Like it's laid out like a speech. Oh. <laughs> really strange. Almost, almost like, like he dictated it. Almost like he either dictated it or kind of wrote a similar one that he thought he was going to give at a future Labour Party conference. I don't know, it's weird. When coming out in favour of Yvette Cooper as leader. <laughs> Maybe this is the way he dements. He just, like, every, every week he thinks he's about to give the big conference speech in 1997. <laughs> um, well, yeah. I hope he does. <laughs> I hope that's how his brain works. <laughs> you hope he just fizzles out. <laughs> um... So he starts off, uh, this was on any basis an extraordinary election, unique in recent British political experience and with major political consequence. So like every election then. Yeah. Most elections have major political consequences. Yeah. Fucking ridiculous. The country is deeply divided between young and old, metropolitan and outside the cities, better off and worse off. That's the... Cent- you could start every centrist article with that. Mm. Um the country is suffering from the state of its politics. The last time we were at the fastest growing economy in the G7, we are now the slowest. The international investment community is negative on us. The savings rate is at its lowest in 15 years. Incomes are stagnating. There is a daily drip of worrying news on Brexit. The Grenfell Tower tragedy sums up for many the sorry condition of our social cohesion. I, for many. Who's for many? Mm. Like, yeah, I think it does. I think you could read a lot into the Grenfell Tower thing. I think it, you could, you know, really divide them into people who are really angry about people burning to death in a preventable <laughs> fire and people who aren't. Country's very divided. It's, yeah. it's very difficult. He's trying to triangulate fire. <laughs> you saw the article, I think it was in The Spectator or something, where um, they were saying there was um, this obnoxious... I can't remember who it was. But they were saying that the real victims are liberal commentators who are being abused. Because of it. Really? Yeah. Fucking hell. But yeah, anyway, so so the country is divided between people who love fire and hate fire. Yeah. <laughs> the galactic braid of Tony Blair. Yeah. Fire? Bad. <laughs> fire is a well, fire, fire is an element of contrast. <laughs> fire, which the ancient Indians called maize. <laughs> fire is an element of contrast, thank you. Um <laughs> There is a slightly anarchic feel to our politics, intensified by the realisation that the government is weak and drifting. There is more followership than leadership. Ha! I bet he thinks that's something that he's going to coin. See that in a bullet point on his fucking website in about six months' time. Inculcating followership as part of his, like, on his about page. Um, We feel like a country which has lost its footing and is stumbling, but seemingly no choice but to stagger on. Uh, That's been my entire fucking life. Britain Mm. has been like that. Like, well, like to, from talks, what I've read, it's been like that for a while. Well, when he talks about things like stag- stagnating wages, it's like, what, since the 70s? Yeah. Mm. This is where everything has changed and nothing has changed. What does this mean? Oh, this fucking... Our leaders should at least lead a proper debate about the options before us. Fuck they off. should become the nation's educators, engaging us, explaining to us, laying out every alternative and what it's means. That's not patronising at all. It's 
fucking so patronising. I have many, many problems with the British democratic process, isn't it? It's barely a democratic process at all. But isn't that a fucking election? Isn't that what Jeremy Corbyn's just done? Here's an alternative. Here's the things that I'm going to do if I become Prime Minister. Well, see, Jeremy Corbyn, he failed because he didn't educate the people into why his policies would have worked. Because what you do, they, they, don't, they don't hear or pay attention so good, so you've got to really slow it down for them. Use simple words like followership. The only educators <laughs> I want in politics are like in that German film, The Educators. Yeah. <laughs> Which is a pro-watch. Everyone Some watch people that. never change. <laughs> um, we have overestimated, as ever, the weakness of Europe. Growth rates are recovering. Politics is stabilising. Yes, many clouds remain, from Italian and Spanish banks to popular anger at cuts, low pay and immigration concerns. Europe is not out of the wood. Notice his phrasing there. Many clouds remain, from Italian and Spanish banks to popular anger at cuts, low pay and immigration. The low pay, the cuts and the immigration concerns are not the clouds. Popular anger at those things Mm. are the clouds. Mm. If everyone wasn't angry about it, Everything would be fine. Yeah. It. Ugh. I agree Labour had a remarkable result, which I did not foresee. I pay tribute to Jeremy Corbyn's temperament in the <laughs> campaign. i got to say, like, yeah. yeah totally. It was, was super impressive. Yeah. To the campaign's mobilisation of younger voters and to the enthusiasm it generated. His supporters shouldn't exaggerate it, but his critics, including me, shouldn't understate it. He tapped into something real and powerful, as Bernie Sanders has in the USA, and left groups have done all over Europe. This is what I hate about him. How dare you key in to the enthusiasm and like positivity mm. of a campaign like Bernie Sanders or Jeremy Corbyn, when you have done everything in your power to brief against it, undermine yeah. it, and most of that enthusiasm... Come off the fact that he's not you, yeah. Blair. Yeah. You fucking... Oh. Like, a, a substantial part of my support for Jeremy Corbyn is how far away he is from Tony Blair. Yes. I imagine that's most people's thing. And the, most, of the pe- most of the reason people don't like people like Ed Miliband, Owen Smith, Sadiq Khan, to a certain extent, mm. is because they say they take the Blair mould. Yeah. I saw Sadiq Khan after the I may have mentioned this the other the other week, but I saw Sadiq Khan after the Grenfell fire when um he was seeing people who were angry that they hadn't moved into, yeah. moved into new homes, that they don't know how many people have died yet. And uh he was doing the Blair thing of yeah. I understand your concerns and it is important that we let the the, the syntax, there has to be somebody who's put together the syntax mm. of centrist politicians when they're dealing with anything, because it it'd be fucking illuminating. There is a genuine and widespread desire for change and for the politics of social justice then support it. Yeah. If Stop there's... briefing against it. So everyone wants it and uh, you, this, they, it's what you say you want. Yeah. Support it. This should alter the, this is the more revealing thing, this should alter the context in which we debate politics and help influence the policy solutions. You see, we debate, <laughs> you just react to our policy decisions mm. because we're in politics yeah. and you're not. Yeah, you're a ch- you're a, some little chode. Yeah. Who doesn't understand what we're doing. You are the grand sea to which we throw our <laughs> life belt out into. And yeah. if you grab onto it, if you don't grab into it, onto it, mm. it's your fault. Yeah. It's fucking disgusting. But it doesn't alter the judgment about the risks of an unchanged Corbyn programme. If he became Prime Minister and tried to implement it at the same time as Brexit, if a right-wing populist punch in the form of Brexit was followed by a left-wing populist punch in the form of unreconstructed hard-left economics, Britain would hit the canvas, flat on our back, and be out for a long count. 
The thing is, it's not far left. I know we said it before, but it's not far left. No. At no point in the um, in the Labour Party manifesto for this last election did it say an end to wage slavery. Yeah. Did it say it was going to get... We're not going to have wages anymore. Abolish the class system. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's... The worst thing is that he was always the one who came in and said, you can't possibly win on this le- mm. on a on a left platform mm. you have to go right look at me i won by being you have to being. go right and once we yeah and once we go right we'll win and then we can do all the stuff that we always wanted to do yeah and now that left wing alternative has actually not won i know yes. in the strictest sense of the word jeremy yes. corbyn is prime minister but it's not quite won everyone <laughs> over um it has a huge fucking mandate with only the prospects for growing bigger. And yeah. what is he doing? He's putting the brakes on it. Yeah. Because he's a fucking conservative. Yeah. They should kick him out of the party. I don't think it would affect them in a negative way at all. Yeah. He carries on. The conventional wisdom is that the centre ground in British politics is now marginalised. It's true that the country didn't vote for centrist politics on June 8th, but neither was it on offer. The space for the centre may seem... It was on offer. The Lib Dems did stand in that election. Yeah. They were there. They were told to fuck off. The space for the centre may seem smaller, but the need for it is ever bigger. Now, I don't know what he thinks politics is. I don't know what he thinks ideologies are, mm. right? But a basic, a basic fucking common sense thing. It's kind of a Marxist thing, but it's, it's also... Ideology has to offer something material mm. in order for it to be supported. Mm. Like, as I'm sure he mentioned quite a lot in his premiership, people don't owe centrism, no. centre-right and centre-left, a living. No. They don't. They're not beholden to support it. No. If it doesn't offer them anything, if it doesn't like improve their lives in any way, why the fuck should they support it? No. It's so fucking entitled. The challenge for the centre is to be the place of changing the status quo, not managing it. If it does, it still beats everything else. No, it doesn't. No. We've just seen that. Yeah. Um, what the progressive centre lacks is a radical policy agenda. This is the most immediate task and the one to which my new institute is devoted. I'd just like to say I went on the website and scrolled around it for a while. I can't find any policy proposals <laughs> other than funding for like think tanks and things like that, existing think tanks. Um, and he says it lacks a radical policy agenda. It lacks a radical policy agenda because it doesn't have any radical policies. It doesn't have anything. It's I, I imagine there's, I imagine like there are some centrists and some pretty radical ideas like, you know, being able to claim back 50% of tax credits once you reach over the 75% threshold for the for your area, um, <laughs> having to fill in three forms in order to claim back those tax credits and having it abolished if you're on housing benefit or job seeks allowance or uh, universal credit. Yeah. And an oxygen market. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sell your plasma? <laughs> I don't... Britain has to escape the cul-de-sac of backwards-looking pessimism with a programme of national renaissance drawing on the best and most creative minds to produce the new thinking which can shape our future and can rekindle optimism. In this time of accelerating change, we are offered two different types of conservatism, one of the right and one of the left. The election was fought like one from the 1980s, but with two competing visions of the 1960s. Neither answers the call of the future. Why would anyone have a backwards-looking pessimism with the unbridled <laughs> success of the Blair years? <laughs> you can't even say that they fucking propped the economy up because the Western economies went through their biggest boom period since the war. Yeah. Probably even before the war. Mm. Which is not due to his policies. I would really like him to go to The Hague. If only so we don't have to listen to him anymore. 
He shouldn't. He shouldn't. What can we do? What can we? How do? How do you? How do you affect the discourse so that this man never has to pop up ever again? Why did he choose now? Well, because he had to work. It's been a he's month. Been, he's been crying solidly. <laughs> it's been a month since the election, and the Tories are falling apart. Mm. He has no sense of what it's like to be, uh, aside from a party man, from to be in any group endeavour ever, no. because he's been at the head of everything for too long. So yeah. he's a special guy. He's a special guy who needs to intervene all yeah. the time to get his point across. It's fucking disgusting. Mm. Oh. He's like he's like um, Tom Cruise in that Scientology video, except more dangerous. Yeah, I mean, like he he sounds like an aristocrat. Yeah, because he because he's I like who's he talking to with this article as well? He's talking to people who already know a bit about politics. He's talking to maybe centrist columnists, mm. and he's talking to centrist people in the Labour Party who are already going after Corbyn for yeah. anything they can do, and who are trying to like separate him from his base, yeah. undermine his base, whatever. Um, he's trying to crown his successor. Yeah. He's been constantly trying to crown his successor ever since he left office. I mean, I imagine he'd... I mean, I don't even think he'd want Owen Smith. No, no, Owen Smith's too shit. Owen Smith's too too, too rubbish. I imagine he wants fucking David Miliband. Mm. And it's... It's just... It's very typical. We can't expect anything like this. I... We shouldn't really do this every time Blair pops up because I know it's like it's well easy for us because we no, can really is, give out on it. But it's um, but it's it's the first time he said a word since the election, mm. and he was saying that the Labour Party were about to die. Yeah. And then he comes up and says, "Okay, it didn't die, but it kind of should have." It definitely feels like as well. Like it's it's every piece of centrist writing since the election yeah. has had that. Of course, I was wrong about Jeremy Corbyn, and I cannot understate the enthusiasm which he has thing. But if we are going to have true enthusiasm, <laughs> by which I mean the enthusiasm that supports what I believe, if we're going to have the kind of enthusiasm that um, on Marsh got in the last <laughs> French election, I'm surprised he didn't mention that. I mean, maybe he has enough sense to keep away from you know actual facts and figures that prove him wrong. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, tr- actual Trump Macron. <laughs> yeah, he's scared of the press, and he's talking about clamping down on European immigration. <laughs> so you know. <laughs> But yeah, no, he's oh, he's the worst. He is just—he's gonna disappear sooner or later, surely, or just. Well, no, because he keeps talking about coming back and into frontline politics. Good luck. Hmm. Which but... constituency Labour Party would want him? <sighs> no one's particularly enthusiastic about their centrist candidates, are they? In fact, there was actually a poll um, last in the last week uh, of Labour Party voters. Hmm. Who and they said who did you like? What were your reasons for voting Labour? And I think it was less than six percent said their local MP. The vast majority are Jeremy Corbyn and his manifesto. Yeah, I didn't like um, even though in Walthamstow you would not know anything about the manifesto on the leaflets that were given out by Stella <laughs> Creasy. I voted entirely for Corbyn, not for Stella Creasy one bit. Mm-mm. But yeah, no, they, well, they never get you excited. No, no centrist gets you excited. No centrist could ever get anyone excited. They've just not realised that they've died yet. It's, a, it's kind of tragic. I mean, it, they're, they're doing real damage. No, 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 it's tragic to watch. <laughs> like, it's, it's, you know, like watching a monkey trying to revive its dead infant or something. Actually, no, it's more like a headless chicken that's the size of a skyscraper destroying a town. <laughs> it's like, oh, I feel sorry for this graceful beast, but it is killing people. <laughs> And when it did have a head, it did kill all those people in Iraq. <laughs> yeah, sure, Godzilla was fighting for us. But when it died against Mothra, it fell over and crushed this massive building. Mothra was a goodie. Was 
I thought Godzilla was, fought Mothra in the first time, but then Mothra was a goodie. Oh yeah, that's the that's the same for all those all those films, isn't it? King Ghidorah and all that. No, King Ghidorah is always a dick. No, okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, speaking of dicks. Yeah. All right. <laughs> all right. Um, speaking of five-headed dicks from outer space. Yeah. <laughs> um, we wanted to move on to something kind of for a bit more in depth with um, Twitter. Hmm. Um, Twitter. Twitter abuse. The hard left abuse. The hard left abusers running rampant over an open network that you can choose to go on. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I was wasn't sure how to refer to real politic fellow podcasts because they're way more successful than we are. Yeah. And they're uh, like they're way more like you know well known and everything. Yeah. But the podcast. Left the real podcast. The, the real politic guys. Um, yeah. In the last week, um, they had a Daily Mail uh, double page spread on. Yeah. Them. Basically, what they had done... I can't actually express how jealous I am. I know! <laughs> I would love to be named and pictured and called a monster by the Daily Mail. I would have framed it. I would have put it on the front window so everyone could see. I'd carry a folded-up copy in my wallet. <laughs> It'd be like that episode of Simpsons where um, he gets accused of sexual assault. It's Rowdy Roddy Peeper. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I'd love it. <laughs> I'd love it so much. But yeah, so they, but the mail um, did a, a the mail did a two page so, spread doxing free people. Yeah, naming them, saying where they live, where they work, in weird internet terms. Yeah, they did. Uh, well, they say weird internet terms taken out into the real world. They doxed mm. them. Um, I mean, what what happened was they've been going after um, bad Labour MPs. Uh, that is to say, Jeremy uh, anti Corbyn MPs. On Twitter for a while now, and, and journalists, and journalists, and, and everything like that. They've been, they've been not even trolling people. They've just been calling them bellends and dickheads. <laughs> and actually, right? no, not just calling them bellends and dickheads. What ha- what will happen is someone, say for example, Dan Hodges, yeah, um, journalist for the Mail now, I believe he's for the Mail. Yes. Um, who is supposedly a member of the Labour Party, but he always says he can't bring himself to vote Labour. In the last election, he voted Conservative. Um, is, he, is he always talking about leaving the Labour Party, like Nick Cohen? Yeah, he's one of those ones. But So he'll say something, and it'll be wrong. Yep. And then they'll say, you're wrong, you dickhead. Yeah. And then he'll have a fucking hissy fit. Yeah, sure. Because there's nothing. Although now Dan Hodges kind of like, Nick Cohen will sometimes have a hissy fit, or um, who's the other one, the one that got you banned off Twitter the first time? Uh, oh, Sonny Hundle. Sonny Hundle will have a bitch fit. But um, Dan Hodges just rolls and revels in his own stupidity. No, he does. Yeah, he does. He sits, the, in, his, he sits never... in a. He sits in a. Um, in like a play pool of his own shit. Yeah. And just rubbing himself in it, cackling, saying, ha ha, triggered. He's got what? an iPad suspended over with an assistant <laughs> to wipe his hand free so he can just type, uh, actually, I don't know nothing about that. <laughs> you are the stupid one now because you were cute. You thought I knew something. Anyway. <laughs> Um, <laughs> but yeah, so they'll call someone an idiot, an idiot. <laughs> so yeah, they will they will do that. And like, yeah, on occasion they've... No, I don't even want to play into that game. I don't want I to play into that. Stepped over. I they've stepped over the line once with this particular thing. I can't think of anything else where they've well, stepped over the line. No, but so, I'm not even sure if they did step over the line. Because, okay, what they did... What, so they, what did, they did What they did was they... I don't even know if they took it or someone else, but they saw someone else Yvette took a Cooper. of Yvette Cooper. They were, someone else took a picture of Yvette Cooper in business class on a train. They reposted it. It was a, cre- a creepy shot of like just taking someone's phone. And she was... First class carriage on the train 
on her way back from giving a speech at the Fabian Society, which was quite obviously a speech where she was going to... Like the kind of speech that she would have been giving on her leadership tour. Oh, that yeah, never yeah, happened. It, yeah. And so the implication is she went first class there, first class back to give a speech about how Jeremy Corbyn's disconnected from real people. Yeah, sure. So they, po- so they had this picture sent to them and then they posted it mm-hmm. and I don't know what they said. Mm. They said she was a busted flush and a bellend. True. Which I, I actually, the be- like, I wouldn't call her a bellend, but I would definitely call her a busted flush. Yeah. So um, this got kind of dragged and like dragnetted into the larger conversation about abuse on Twitter. It got conflated with racist, homophobic and transphobic abuse from actual Nazis and other people. Mm. Um and they ended up getting uh, doxxed in the Daily Mail. They had yeah. their pictures. They all they, got banned I, I think for a bit as well. They, yeah, real, the real politic, actual Twitter got banned off. Jack Frame Reed got banned off, I think, as well. Banned off? I don't know why I mm. used that phrase. Uh, Jess Phillips tore into the abuse, which she warned is part of a wider campaign to bully and intimidate female MPs, like she bullied and intimidated Diane Abbott. Yep, like that's how she um, made herself famous, by publicly... <laughs> Abusing Diane Abbott. (laughs) This can no longer be seen as individual incidents, she said. This is targeted to control, isolate and manipulate. It has to stop. Um, P.S. If I caught someone taking stalker pics of me, I'd throw their phone onto the train tracks. Okay, important thing. There is a Twitter account um, that just posts pictures of MPs. Mm -hmm. Um, I can't remember what it's called. I think it's called I Spy MP or something like that. And it's a creepy Twitter account. And all it does is just post pictures of MPs. But because this comes from the right, hmm. this has been running for years, this one. Oh, it comes from somebody who actually has cachet with their level of people. And I do I'd use yeah. that word on, on purpose, their level. Hmm. But that, that run's been running for years, and it hasn't had a two-page spread in the fucking mail. Yeah. Another part <laughs> was really funny. I'm pretty sure in the original article, I think they've changed it since then, but I'm pretty sure when I read the original article, they didn't mention that The Real Politic was a podcast. They just <laughs> it was, said... It was a trolling the, the, it, was a, it was a trolling Twitter account as opposed to, <laughs> you know, the Twitter account of a podcast that somebody put up. Like they're a gang from The Warriors. <laughs> yeah. Whose whole purpose is to just <laughs> troll with that Cooper, just clinking the bottles on Twitter. Just <laughs> liberals... Come out to play. Well, no, it wouldn't. It wouldn't be. It wouldn't be bottles. It'd be a, a big bag of cans. <laughs> just empty. They're just empty, empty cans, cans inside empty. a plastic bag. <laughs> um, <laughs> the Mail article actually said, while others said the creepy photo is worthy of the Stasi, the dreaded <laughs> East German secret police who spied on citizens under communist rule, and posted or- pictures online. <laughs> <laughs> The famous Stasi, famous for inventing conjunctive swear words to use at people who call them wrong on Twitter. When the wall fell, there were thousands of people sifting through the files with just their names on it and dick splash and and throwing it into a big fire. They've waited for years to use that. It's just... But also from the mail, from the mail with the mail online where it's like the whole side banner is just... Candid photos of women that have been taken without them knowing. Young women who are, quote, coming into their own or... Budding. Blossomed nicely. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, you could spend all day pointing out the hypocrisy of the male publishing a cartoon likening refugees to rats. Yeah. And then bitching out about fucking uh, people calling someone a bellend on Twitter. Yeah. 
But they fucking censored the word bellend as well. They put stop B, star, star, star. <laughs> <laughs> but they didn't say... Um, oh, no, it was, the, um, it was the sun, wasn't it? That was um, that had the Katie Hopkins thing referring to migrants as cockroaches. Yeah, and talking about how she'd take a gunboat in. It was the male, however, who um, published uh, photos of a trans teacher... Um, saying he's not only in the wrong body, he's in the wrong job. That's their misgendering, not mine. Just okay. to just to clarify that, the teacher then fucking commits suicide. Uh, but yeah, the um, male is just whoa. the male is the worst, and we shouldn't expect anything less of it. It's not to detract from the hypocrisy. But what I found more interesting was all of the. All of the journalists, all of the journalists, the ones who we've made fun of for the last 21 episodes. Um, Nick Cohen saying, so, tweeting, replying to it, saying, so much hate in such weedy bodies. <laughs> Nick coming, Cohen! Coming from the Adonis, Nick Cohen. <laughs> a man who, he has to turn sideways and crouch to come through doors, built like a Greek god that he is. You should see the size of his traps. <laughs> He's just gigantic. He definitely doesn't look like a man who's made mainly out of claret now. Apparently he only... stopped drinking. Did he? Yeah. Well, it's probably because he had to. He's held together mainly by gout. <laughs> um, yeah, I saw, I saw like he jogged, he did a marathon or something, or, or like a fun run. Yeah. And he looked, because, you know, when you do any of those long runs, it's not fair really to laugh at someone how they look after doing a long distance run. Because you always look dehydrated and deflated. Yeah. But there is something quite funny You're about... allowed to now. Yeah. We're there's allowed to make fun of Nick Cohen's weird pursed lips. Yeah, there's something quite hideous about such a deflated Nick Cohen. <laughs> like, he, like he derives all of his nutrition, like a butterfly, <laughs> from sticking an ovipositor out of his mouth Whoa. and into the stem of flowers. I'll be careful there, because he'll, he'll say that that's like a traditional anti-Semitic slur, saying that someone's <laughs> like a butterfly. Oh God, I hate that man. Um, Theresa May came and said there's no place for that activity in our democracy and I'm surprised at any party leader who is not willing to condemn it we should crush them like the saboteurs they are (laughs) (laughs) there's like there's no place for that activity in our democracy and I'm surprised that any party leader who is not willing to condemn that it's like you just did it. Yeah. You just did the same thing. You slipped yeah. something that you say is should be party neutral and used it to fucking have a go at Jeremy Corbyn. Um, but we were talking about this during the week. Yeah. And about kind of like Twitter abuse and like the weird kind of... Because obviously all of this has gotten, gotten conflated into one thing, yeah. as we said. Death threats and throwing bricks through people's windows and things like that is conflated with calling someone a swear word on Twitter mm. or just disagreeing with them. Yeah. Um, if I was being charitable, a lot of this kind of attitude from liberal journalists especially, I feel like a lot of it was kind of conditioned into them when they really didn't understand the internet. Like the only feedback they'd get on their articles would be below the line comments, which mm. are, as we know, all terrible. Oh, they're horrific. Um, but like... They're, they're kind of talking about abuse and, like, there's governments across Europe talking about how we tackle this wave of abuse. And, like, I just don't know how... There's a lot of confusion about, like, how you're supposed to engage on Twitter. Hmm. Because, like, if you're, if you're an academic, hmm. you publish something in a journal hmm. and other academics... Admittedly, like, it's a club that you get into after having a PhD. It's not a public forum. Yeah. But the mechanism is that if somebody publishes a rebuttal or a critique of what you were saying, you're kind of ethically obligated to reply. Hmm. Journalists don't have any of that. No. So they're going into Twitter, which is a conversational medium, yeah. and they have no idea how to 
how to react. No, no, they um, it's because well, Twitter managed to make essentially like a giant. It's a it's a giant forum. Mm. Um, yeah. and most of these it's gen- even quicker than a forum. Yeah, I would say. and most like, of these yeah. journalists had were never internet-y people. They never were on forums when they were teenagers. Yeah, because a lot of them are too old, or and the younger ones were. I don't know. It's like that. I don't see you on the forum, but they mm. were like, ah, oh, but I don't see you at the Oxford Debating Society. Yeah. Um, but then they turn up, and the internet is a is just a pit of snakes. Yes, yeah. It's always been a pit of snakes. It's one of the reasons I like it. But yeah. they turned up to the pit of snakes and then got angry at the snakes. Yeah. And it's like, well, no, you decided to come into my pit of snakes because you saw just how many snakes there were and you thought you could get some votes out of it. Yeah. Um, they really have never been able to handle any kind of criticism because most of them, and like Dan Hodges and Nick Cohen are good examples of this, mm. they are, I do not doubt that Nick Cohen is the smartest man at every dinner party he's ever been to. Mm, Although Peter Hitchens does maybe. savage him quite regularly, which is kind of funny because Peter Hitchens, I imagine, has someone to tie his shoes for him. <laughs> but, you know, you know what I mean? That yeah, kind I of, know. Yeah, I'm I know. The, sm- the smartest man in his little circle. I know what you mean. Or at least, but it res- is a little least, circle. Yeah, at yeah. least he gets respect. Yeah, he doesn't get called like a bloodsucking ghoul. He doesn't get likened to a butterfly. Yeah, and exactly. that anatomically. Yeah, and that really upsets them because yeah. everything has to be polite. It goes back to like, um, like we talked about like early episodes. I don't like the politeness of politics. Why should I be polite to Nick Cohen? I hate the man. I hate everything he stands for. If I want to call him a cunt, I'm going to call him a cunt. Yeah. And he doesn't like that. He gets very upset it's, by it. And then he says that it's not the, like that kind of thing. It's akin to killing Joe Cox. Yeah, yeah. Or, you know, yeah. The po- yeah but I'm it leads lesser, to that. But, like, you know, like death threats and things like oh. that. It all, it's all kind of gotten put, put into one thing. And I'm not going to, like, downplay the fact that, yeah, probably Yvette Cooper does get some horrific misogynist abuse yeah. on Twitter. I'm sure she absolutely does, mm. um, and there you need that kind of like reporting thing for it, just for your own like sanity. Mm. But like, there's a there's another question of like, what do? I mean, it's a separate question we can put them together. But like, what do MP? Who are MPs when they go on Twitter? What do they expect? Mm. Like, that's the kind of like if you're they're they're talking about abuse like it's something to be clamped down on, but actually. What we actually need to do is think about what the end game is. What does like good discourse look? I don't like that word particularly, but what does good discourse look like oh. on Twitter? And is it even like something that you'd want? I think MPs and journalists think that they they expect the they expect the respect that they get in their circles. They like an MP expects their class privilege. Yeah, yeah, exactly. They um, an MP expects to be the right honourable. Mm. And be treated with all the deference that that entails. It's weird because they always, all the new MPs always make a, a, a point of like pointing a slight amount of fun at all of the old fusty kind mm. of um, ceremonies that go on in the House of Commons and mm. everywhere else, the amount of talks they have to give to esteemed fucking institutions and think tanks and all that shit. And yet, yeah, you're right. They do kind of, ex- they get so used to it that they kind of expect it. And there's also the, like, the invisible respects. Like, I think the poking. Poking fun at it is all disingenuous anyway. I think they. they yeah, oh yeah, that. no, absolutely. They, yeah, yeah. they definitely want that. Like, there's nothing that like Tony Blair hates hates mm. more than someone's calling him a pillock. Yeah. Um, and Jess Phillips, for all of her, you know, I'm a working class girl from Birmingham, and I, just, you know, roll with the punches, and you can see like how tough I am because I just called Diane Abbott an idiot. Um, she wants respect. She wants the people to be quiet and deferent to her. Yeah, they all do. 
and you can tell the difference between the different MPs and how they react to um, to the kind of shit they get on Twitter. Um, like for as much as I dislike Stella Creasy, she just rolls with it. Yeah, and she laughs at them, reposts them, and says like, "Look at this dickhead," mm. and that's what you're supposed to do. Like Clive Lewis, he gets a huge amount of racist abuse, and so does um, David Lammy. Yeah, and they just repost it, and go, <laughs> "Get a load of this idiot." He yeah. just called me the M word. Yeah, there's like, I think it's partially because as well they they all use their Twitter accounts in different ways, as you as you as mm. you've said, but they kind of some of them use it as just, "I'm the constituency MP for." this area mm. for Dagenham or whatever and they use it to repost things that they've done it's like their kind of PR feed mm. other people use it to kind of comment on things as a, like a normal Twitter user does other people use it as like a, a, a thing to kind of communicate with journalists and all that kind of mm. thing and bring like in, like build their personal brand mm. um, Jess Phillips would be the one who would mm. be building her personal brand David Lammy and that use it for kind of conversational stuff and there's I, I can't think of who, but there's another one I, I subscribe to that, yeah, they just use it for reposting, like, I'm at this Labour event. I'm opening a church fate or whatever. Yeah. Um, so there's a problem with you can't approach all MPs in the same way on Twitter because you're not sure whether they're even fucking reading it. You're not, yeah. you're not sure who they are on Twitter. I think with journalists, it's a different thing. Well, journalists, there's like... A lot of people have gotten really annoyed because Laura Koonsberg gets a lot of abuse on Twitter. Yeah. And there's a lot of people saying how unfair this is. The thing is, a lot of the t- there's there, I'm sure she gets a lot of unfair abuse. Like all women in, who have any attention looked mm-hmm. at them, they always get a fair amount of creepy fuckers. Yeah. Laura Koonsberg is a Tory. She is a Tory. She has been told off yeah. for lying and misrepresenting yeah. people, misrepresenting Jeremy Corbyn specifically. But who did she get told off by? She got told off by the BBC. Right, exactly. Mm. And where's, like, other than points of view, which mm. is so old and antiquated mm. that you can't really, you don't have that feedback loop. Mm. And, and I, it's one thing with MPs, but journalists are supposed well, to one be. One of the, the things I would say, Laura Koonsberg, it's generally accepted on Twitter that she doesn't have, she doesn't read any of her mentions. She yeah. has all of her, all, anyone, anything that you say to her on Twitter, she never sees it. Yeah. So she just uses it as a megaphone mm. because being the political correspondent for the BBC isn't a loud enough megaphone for her mm. and that's the problem yeah they a lot of journalists do it they've walked into Twitter and they've assumed that it's their megaphone now yeah that this is just another channel that they're on yeah and it's not it's a conversation and if you don't if you start acting like you just it's like if anyone walks into your house and starts shouting at you with a megaphone you're going to start calling them a prick it's just it, I think it does expose like the nature of what kind of journalist they are because yeah mm. Laura Koonsberg I imagine you know reports the news whatever with her own own spin or whatever mm. people like Nick Cohen they're not fucking experts at anything they're, he's not like the tech correspondent and goes to like computer conferences or what is this or, supposed field because normally they have like just, a- he is just an opinion columnist he's just an opinion writer he's just a think piece writer and he's but not been, even with but, a particular slug, other than, you know, he, everyone's anti But the difference is, I mean, I think, the re, I think we isolate people like Dan Hodges and mm. uh, Nick Cohen because they're terrible, but also because there's so many think pieces on the internet mm. done by people for free mm. that are better than that. Yeah. They came in at the right time to get paid a fuck, or with the right connections, to get paid a lot of fucking money for that. And they're not... They don't have any kind of feedback loop. They don't have any... Um, Thing and what what you said about uh, uh, Laura, like the megaphone, it's mm. it's right. It's a bully pulpit. Mm. It's 
they've gotten to a place where not just that they like the Oxford Debating Society because they get to set the terms of debate. Yeah. And the interesting thing now with Twitter and kind of talking about harsher restrictions on Twitter, which I, I doubt is going to happen in any meaningful That's way. I doubt it's even possible. Yeah, you're right. Is that they're not just trying to change the style of debate they're having. They're trying to actually hegemonise the actual field, the location that the debates happen. This isn't a particularly new um, thing either, because you can see with like the print media, mm. like it has become concentrated. It's become, yeah. it, it's it's it it mostly toes one line. It might toe a slightly left wing flavour, or it might toe a slight uh, a right wing flavour, or a very right wing flavour. Mm. But it all it all kind of comes out. And they hired these people, these non experts, who are their opinion columnists. I mean, fucking Polly Toynbee, mm. like Polly Toynbee knows. Of politics, <laughs> she knows of it. Do you know what In I mean? Way- Do you know what I mean? Like, what's her? What's her experience? What's her? Her like her field? Splitting from the it's Labour not- Party. Yeah, splitting. <laughs> splitting from the Labour Party and losing elections. That's her field. Um, but they hire getting things wrong. They hire them to push lines. Yeah, like on behalf of the owners and the editors, yeah. particular political things. This is nothing. This is nothing new. It's not like a radical thing to say that, right? Um, but you can't do that on Twitter. No. It's harder to do it because you don't have the concentrated power of all of the other stories around and you have other sources of information, better informed people about it. And these, I think it's, it's especially the people who focus on politics as a craft who mm. are coming in for most of it because most of their beliefs have just been washed away. Yeah. And it's um, the way they swagger is like they're colonising it. Mm. But when you colonise a country, you have an army with you. Yeah. Um, with Twitter, they just have the rules and regulations, and then people aren't really breaking Oh, I mean, rules. talking about all the abuse and the kind of horde of online mm. lefty trolls who are kind of coming after you, don't doubt that the centrists have their own... Oh, yeah, there's loads ...have of their them. own fucking boosters and their own fucking soldiers. Um, one of them who said that he was going to shop everyone to the police, um, I think the police are opening up an investigation into him now because he was um, looking through the Facebooks of... the Facebook of Matt Zarb's family. yeah. Yeah, um, looking so for pictures Andrew's of his family. Spooner. Yeah, that was it. Who was that? Andrew, yeah, he's a, something associated with something. Yeah, he's like... <laughs> a, he's, he's just, he is just an abuser. He's just an online abuser. Yeah. Um, but even then, the people on the left, they weren't calling... Like, saying that he's a... Like, well, they were calling him a monster, but they weren't saying that, you know, he's like a death threat. No. They were laughing at him. They were laughing at him calling him a pedo. Yeah. Yeah, that's the thing that was... Yeah. Well, there's a... He said... And it's you, just the reaction to it. It's like, oh my God. How dare you call me how, a nonce? How dare... Dare you? I I cannot believe just because I was looking through somebody's personal private Facebook. There's um one of the things Andrew Spooner said was when Corbynistas talk about salting the slugs, when a slug gets salted, it, it feels like it's acid. It feels like it's burning. Are these is this Corbynista saying that they should that people should throw <laughs> acid at me? And it's like you're an idiot. You're an actual it's idiot. It's conflating real life and online in yeah. bad faith. Yeah, which is what I don't understand. Like mm. I've I grew up on the internet but not entirely dominated by it as we both did and like I have a very serious separation between online and real life I don't think the two should ever really meet I know I'm like way behind Mm. what how people actually live their lives but Mm. I'm way more abusive in real life than I am online (laughs) yeah yeah. that's because there's less there's less um it's less fiddly yeah it's less typing on that little fucking screen sorry um I'm not likely to get a load of abuse and then a double page spread in the daily mail would I just shout Bellend and George Galloway on the tube. <laughs> um, like, 
you think you'd think that you know someone of a Nick Cohen like they they present themselves as kind of they have a principle they they're, they're they're right they write because they have political principles and they have a political stance that somehow carries through their simultaneous uh, column work on the Spectator and the Guardian and the Mail and the New Statesman. The New Statesman. Yeah, that's what kind of like yeah, yeah when you talk about hegemony that's yeah that's kind of what I mean yeah. Um, Almost as if they form their own subclass. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I don't... Because it can't be nice. Like I, I'm a human being as well. It can't be nice to actually come into kind of the proper abuse. Every, mm. every morning look at your screen and see like 10,000 fucking things screaming at you, calling you a, you know... Nonce. A nonce. Well, not a nonce, but... Well, yeah, nonce, yeah. okay. Um, but I think you can't like... It's not easy to kind of say certain words are out of bounds other than the obvious ones that are out of bounds the yeah. racist the homophobic stuff the misogynist but the left get... doesn't doesn't tend to use those no. words and the people who do don't, don't tend to get um, kicked off twitter yeah and you see like they'll do a two-page spread in the fucking mail talking about how horrible these three guys are but do they even come close to mentioning the sheer amount of people with names like Keck Himmler 88 whose Twitter bio is just the 14 words yeah. who all they do is just repost Trump and just hurl abuse at anyone who looks even slightly tanned or slightly Jewish yeah I don't know I don't, yeah they are pretty anti I, I'm not that I'm not, I don't read that much of the alt-right because I find but there's like, no point they're the, they're the same they could might as well be the same person yeah, aside, I, from, aside from any of their <laughs> numerous abuses and faults they're not that informative entertaining no. or interesting after no. you've seen about three there's a couple I keep an eye on on Twitter yeah like um, that you actively follow and support yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> um, there's a couple that I follow because uh, just like um, why well, I started following um, Tommy Robinson a while ago because of just him doorstepping journalists yeah because I was like my what the fuck that's abuse mm. yeah but yeah, taking a picture of someone on the train. It's like it's it's the real world consequence, and like when it when it kind of gets wrapped up with actual kind of Twitter abuse. So like the early, I mean, I don't know if it's going away now. I suppose it's not, but the kind of woke liberal response to, and I, you know, not to get into that whole intersectionality woke argument, but like mm. there was a certain sector of woke of of like woke Twitter mm. that their go to thing was to pick apart something somebody had said or something somebody had like liked mm. which unless they had a likes do not equal endorsement mm. and then kind of like tweeting at their employer and things like that because that's the worst thing that could possibly happen because the, like yeah. a lot of them have really good jobs they tweet at their employer to try and get them sacked mm. and it's like that divide between online and real life is what I can't get my head around mm. like I don't I don't understand it what happens on Twitter stays on fucking Twitter yeah, in general. And I mean, that's like both the good thing about Twitter and the limitation is that ultimately Twitter's not real life. Mm. Although an increasing amount of real life seems to get spun out and started on, started and spun out on, mm. on, on Twitter. Yeah. You know? Yeah, it's a weird one. But basically, the real politic guy shouldn't have been doxxed in the fucking mail. What should have what should have happened to anybody who steps over the line in a certain way is that you have literally the left wing thing of self like self criticism and criticism from the community. It has to happen that way. They've apologised before when they fucked up as well. Yeah, they've um, what was it? They they used a word I think 
a uh, mm. bad word. I mean, well, I mean, we had it. Um, yeah, we had someone on. Um, we had someone a, a, say a, that I should stop saying the R word. Yeah, and I think I have. You take it. You take it on board. It's yeah. yeah it's one of those. Well, things no, it's like, like I, you should. You know, it, you that's the difference. But that's the difference between like the left and the right on Twitter. Mm. Um, I used to say that word quite a lot, but then. Well, I remember, like, I think I stopped saying it after a pretty early episode mm. because when editing it and hearing it, I was like, mm. the idea of if I say something that actively upsets someone and mm. I choose specifically to upset someone, like saying Nick Cohen has an ovipositor coming out of his mouth to live off the nectar, yeah, and he gets upset about it, that's fine. If I said something inadvertently that upsets someone, I'd feel kind of bad about it, yeah. Um, and that's the difference between the left and the right. Whereas yeah. the right, if that gets brought up, they go, ha ha, triggered, lib. Yeah. There's never, there's, it's, yeah. I don't know. Yeah. I don't, I was trying to think of what, like, to, to kind of wrap it up, like, what, what the end game is for it. And I think, like, one thing I was thinking of is that considering most of their stuff, hmm. these, these people, the columnists, the MPs maybe, less the MPs, if they write something, shouldn't there be like an actual right of reply? Yeah, there should always be a right. Not just in letters, mm. not just in like a letters page, just how how those news websites function. Mm. I feel like there has to be a kind of more long... I mean, it's completely in opposite to the way that media works now. It's completely in opposite to their commercial interests. I know it completely won't happen. Mm. But something like a right of reply and a right of kind of an ethical responsibility to actually account for the things well, that you write. Whenever they get caught out lying, yeah. the retraction is always tiny mm-hmm. on about the mm. 15th page. And it's only ever about tiny technical details yeah. as opposed to, you know, immigrants like, are gas all the immigrants. Mm. And they'll say, actually, we reported that there were 50,000 Syrian immigrants last year, whereas actually there were only 50. Or so you know, something like that, but we should still gas them. Yeah. But um, um, I think one of the goals they want, and they have said that they want to um, ban anonymous accounts, which is impossible. No. But um, also... Oh, bye-bye Twitter. Yeah. If that happens, goodbye Twitter. Well, it won't happen. Yeah. But, and also, that, the reason they want it is because... Someone like Katie Hopkins only makes money from... Well, she's been losing a lot of money recently because she's gone off the deep end. She's gone even too far you for You see, her. she was too dumb. Yeah. She didn't rein it in sensibly like Rod Liddle does. Yeah. Rod Liddle is a perfect example of exactly... Like Owen Jones on the left, mm. Rod Liddle on the right is just about... Just... He goes over the line quite a lot, but he mm. still kind of manages to row it back. Or, or Jeremy Clarkson or someone like that. Yeah. They go just over the line and then they come back just enough... She never knows when to stop. But the, what I was going to say is, they're allowed. They can use their name for their for mm. everything they say, because it doesn't really affect them negatively. Financially. That's why they get the blue tick. Exactly, it affects them positively, mm. if anything. Whereas most people on Twitter aren't journalists. Most yeah. people on Twitter are people with jobs. Like I, mm. my Twitter account is not at all anonymous. Mm. I am, but I've always been that way about online. Yeah. I'm still um, about it, like about it on this. I am. I am on I most. Am. I am. I'm anonymous on most things, but on Twitter, it was actually it was more of a self checking mechanism. <laughs> in the same way that I don't tweet drunk or high anymore. Yeah. I you know because I, I will do something stupid. Mm. Um, but there are plenty, and also I can tweet completely 
as as who I am. Yeah. Because it's not I'm not going to lose my job because I don't have a job, mm. and the kind of jobs that I'm likely to get aren't going to be negatively affected by just how often I retweet every single picture of Tanahashi. <laughs> um, but most people, there is a chance of them losing their job. Yeah. Um, and it affected them negatively. Like I think the real politic goes. I assume they want to work in the Labour Party or in academia in general. Yeah, because they seem to be in that in that arena. Don't they, they seem very yeah. Like, yeah. But um, it but there are people who it can really you know fuck up. Yeah. Like if you work for a local council and you yeah and say you have an anonymous account where you talk about how shit the council is. Yeah. You're gonna get in the shit. But even the even the generation of. Uh, online kind of uh, activism at you. Say you've got like you work for a company and they've got a company Twitter, and there's just you're just bombarded with kind of uh, oh, do you agree with what this man says? Mm. Is this your company policy? It's the most fucking neoliberal capitalist thing in the world mm. to tie the person that closely to their job and what they do is what they are. Yeah, you know it's 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 really atrocious. But I don't like Twitter isn't votes. Mm. Twitter isn't money twitter no, isn't any 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 real world any any real world thing so the idea that they're going to somehow like stop the abuse it would make it safe safe in inverted mm. commas commas for them and it would destroy it well, yeah, they, yeah. that nobody would be on twitter it'll be like mention uh yeah it will be like any of the other it'll be like um what was it Ello. yeah because nobody goes on it because it relies on an anonymous inflated user base mm. to keep running and it just won't I mean, I know they don't care about that because then they can go back to being yeah. completely unaccountable and, oh, yeah. I'm and sure never, most, most, never having any uh, contrary opinion crossing them. But. I'm sure most journalists and politicians hate the fact that Twitter exists. I just, I don't see that they're forced to be on it. Yeah, they're not. You know, they're not. It's, there's, there's, there's quite a few that you know, aren't on it at all. What profit it a man to loot to gain his blue tick if he loses his class privilege? <laughs> Yeah, that's right. I've been thinking about that line for fucking a week. <laughs> well done. I've been working on workshopping it. <laughs> <laughs> Pissing off everyone at work. Yeah. You say it and then you go, what? Does it profit it? Should I use King James? <laughs> I, I don't know. Uh, New International. Uh, I don't know. And every response is, what? <laughs> yeah. Who are you? I'm not even sure if it's a, it's a half-remembered Bible quote. I'm not even sure if it's right. <laughs> uh, okay, but yeah, that's yeah. the uh, opinion on the abuse yeah. stuff. It's like, it's not really abuse. Suck yeah. it up. Suck it up. Take your lumps. There's um also there's a lot of people have been getting really angry, a lot of the centrist people after the Corbyn victory because unsurprisingly, a lot of Corbyn supporters, a lot of people on the left, have been feeling quite justifiably vindicated, hmm. and after spending years and years of being lied to by all kinds of journalists telling them how wrong a they are, a class of chancers and hmm. uh, bullshit artists. That they're quite excitable now and mm. quite happy. And to be honest, people like Dan Hodges and Nick Cohen need to take their lumps. It's not time yet for the reconciliation bit. Also, these people don't want really reconciliation. They just want to stop people calling. They still just want people to stop calling them idiots. Yeah, but I mean, it's not even just calling them idiots. I mean, talking about like something that you might disagree with Nick Cohen on extremely. There are some things you can disagree and say that's that's the wrong method to achieve this thing. Mm. That's like the centrist way of doing it. Mm. I don't even think he wants that. But when you're talking about Nick Cohen berating people for not bombing Syria, yeah. I think that that's quite a serious moral issue yeah. where people might die. Yeah. So I think any level of um, angst or, or aggravation directed at him is justified. Yeah. Yeah. It, yeah. Okay. Uh, 
So we've spoken about Dan Hodges a bit. We've spoken so about... a little bit more about Dan Hodges because he has been in the news this week. Well, not in the news. He was doing stupid things on Twitter. Dan Hodges isn't in the news. Dan Hodges is the news. He's a being of purest news. <laughs> he doesn't understand it. <laughs> he can't relay it with any kind of consistency or no. accuracy or insight. No, he's like... Uh, ah, that's what he's like. He's like one of the precogs in... Um, Minority Report, <laughs> except he's in a paddling pool of his own shit, like we said earlier, just reacting instantly to stimulus. Well, he's like the precogs when they get it wrong and they all freak out, except he's only responding to things in the past. You know, like a normal human being. <laughs> and getting things wrong. He's just responding to stimulus from things that he's seen in the past. <laughs> and interpreting it wrong. Yeah. But, um, so, this week, he got really annoyed because John McDonnell said that the Grenfell fire was like a case for... So- it was social murder. It was a case of social murder, yes. Yeah. And he said, he's inventing words now. Oh, John McDonald is inventing words. And then someone pointed out, it's like... It, it, it's got a pretty long heritage yeah, it's from Engels. Engels and... Yeah, yeah. That it was a thing that Frederick Engels said. Um, and he was like, oh, I haven't read Engels. <laughs> but yeah that, that's his thing though isn't yeah. it he just goes oh, I don't know what you're talking about it makes me the winner yeah um, and was yeah just smearing himself with his own shit like mm. we've already talked about before mm. but there was another Dan as well who also had an opinion on this oh yeah Dan Hannon Dan oh god Daniel handsome, Hannon handsome Dan he's, Hannon is he still an MEP yes he is <laughs> he's, a, he's, he's the most principled politician in Britain because he has been constantly voting himself out of the job. That's what he. That's what he says. <laughs> but he had an opinion about the Engels thing because there's a yeah. statue being rebuilt. Or I think there's been a statue erected in Manchester, which was where Engels' uh, family had, had their, uh, his family. Had, no, see, this is the thing about Engels. I'd, I like to defend Engels on this point. He was. He had a mill. His family had a mill. Yeah, it's, I'm not criticising him for having a mill. He was a canny entrepreneur. <laughs> He was a canny entrepreneur. When Marx was starving, he used to steal money from his family. And we like, all, get we all need an Engels. My wife is my Engels. <laughs> to my lazy Marx. And you are my Engels. <laughs> yeah. It's a cycle of Engels. But yeah, so yeah, he it's had... Engels his, all the way down. His family were based in Manchester. Hmm. So they're erecting a statue to him because... Yes. He's an important man. Important man. Condition of the working classes is a set text in many, many university courses. Communist manifesto is a the communist manifesto, obviously. But I'm talking about Engels on his own. Capital. Yeah, he refined and uh, uh, rewrote a lot of Marx's stuff. Well, I imagine when he got it, it went through his notes. Actually, published. I think the Grundrisse is mostly due to him. Well, I think mainly when you know, like when Marx died, and like a lot of his stuff, Engels walked into Marx's bedroom. And there was just like a load of ye olde post-it notes all over the place. You know like how um, Fingy used to write, um, Burroughs? Yeah. <laughs> but lazier. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, so Dan Hannon is very angry about a statue of Engels being built. Right, okay. Um, is... Because of the hundred million deaths of communism. Uh-huh. And this is directly the fault of um, Engels. Dan Hannon, principled man as he is, he was very much against the tearing down of the statue of Cecil Rhodes. Right. Who right. actively did kill people. Yes. Who, who, yeah, was responsible Engels, for the death of I'm millions. pretty certain. I know a bit about Engels. I, don't, I wouldn't say that I'm an expert on the life and times of Engels. I don't think he killed anyone. I don't think he killed anyone. And I'm anyone, pretty certain no. communism didn't kill anyone, especially while he was alive. 
And it wasn't because of communism that people started ever going to that one. No, but, um, <laughs> um, but yeah, so he's like, how dare they build a statue to yeah. this mass murdering man? And he was complaining about the social murder thing. And, you know, he can pretend to be... Dan Hannon is a, is a liar. <laughs> he seems very good at, you know, shifting his positions, particularly on the issue of statues. Yeah, he's, he's obsessed. Well, he's a yeah. conservative, so of course he cares about statues. Well, he's in it for the class war. Like, he yeah. uh, he might not admit it like Neil Ferguson does, but mm. yeah. But um, he is a liar. He changes his opinion a lot. The thing that he can definitely he say... He changes his opinion only to benefit his actual position. Yeah. Though. Yeah, yeah. And the thing that proves that he's an actual liar hmm. is there was a lovely article in, I think it's The Independent or The I, whatever it yeah. is, um, written by Pascale Hughes, mm-hmm. or Pascal, I don't know. But anyway, um, titled "The Curious Case of MEP Daniel Hannan and his and the Mysterious Country Walks." Ooh, because Dan Hannan, see, he's on Twitter, yeah, and it's a lovely tweet he did. He's building a border. He's going on country walks to build a border, <laughs> starting starting in the northeast. <laughs> well, he tweeted fifteen miles up and down over Hampshire's sloping fields, pausing for a pie at Vine Harrington. Vine Harrington. God. God, I love England in May, and then posted a lovely picture of a hawthorn bush in a hedge. Fuck you, that's so fucking cliche. Oh God, I love England. These fields that couldn't be anywhere else. The problem is that that picture was taken in May in 1998 in Glamorgan. <laughs> so he'd looked online for this picture and then attached it to his tweet. The real question is, where was he? Well, that's the thing. What's he doing? Where? What's he doing out there? What's he building in there? What's he doing out in the countryside? Did he even go to the countryside? There's is formaldehyde this... under the sink, of course. <laughs> what's the thing? Maybe it's an alibi. <laughs> but, um, yeah, so this is in... Yeah, the... Yeah, so that's that's that that lie. So he's in the he's in the European Union building pretending he's not an MEP, <laughs> and he's in X pretending he's in Hampshire while tweeting a picture of Wales. Mm. Hmm. And then and then people went further back into his career is built account. on a pillar of sand, isn't it? A pillar <laughs> of sand. And then another tweet of his, and then suddenly the dandelions are the sweet sounds and sights of summer and the sun. He writes like such a fucking Tory. He, he writes like he fucking remembers Wordsworth as opposed yeah. to actually <laughs> quoting Wordsworth. Just Someone told him about Wordsworth a while ago. Yeah. Um, Something about dandelions and clouds. a picture of a load of dandelions. That picture was taken in Vermont. <laughs> that was not one done by him. It was used by a blogger to talk about dandelions as a source of rubber. Okay. So again, he looked for a picture and then pretended it was his. <laughs> Are we are we existing in the kind of world where like Dan Hannon thinks his brand mm. is that he has to put himself out there? It's like, look at how active I am. Mm. I'm not at home on the couch like every <laughs> other fucking slob. But the best thing about it was um Economist and Managing Director of Europe Economics, Andrew Lilico, defending him. Okay. Defending So I'm gonna read this exchange okay. on Twitter. He went for a walk in the country and tweeted out a nice picture of, of countryside to go with it. You seriously want to claim that's mendacious? And someone says, well, well, I, it like is. you, have got no idea if he went for an English country walk or not, because his picture is from Wales. <laughs> I've got a pretty good idea if he went for an English country walk, because he said he went for an English country walk. Um, Are these the same people who say, like, 
Jeremy Corbyn wants to like um, bow to like Islamic terrorism when he specifically says we don't want to bow to Islamic terrorism. I think he probably does say that. Yeah, I'm just assuming. Not a keen eye for you know nuance. This guy. Um, if you went for an English country walk and wanted to post a picture, why wouldn't you take a picture? Because whilst you're walking, you might want to concentrate on the walking, not on your phone. Given Hannon has repeatedly condemned the taking of phone pictures at key live events, that would hardly be a surprise. Key live events? Yeah. Having a walk in a field? Yeah. Why does he owe it to you to spend his time taking photos whilst out for a walk? Who do you think you are? <laughs> These entitled people demanding pictures of Dan Hannon's <laughs> life. Good fella. He used a nice picture of a countryside. To evoke the kinds of scenes he saw whilst on his walk. That he specifically didn't see. It's very small-minded to object to that. He specifically didn't see them. If he'd not included an evocative picture, would you still avow you have no idea if he went for a walk he said he went for? The thing is, I wasn't suspicious that he wasn't going for walks. Before? Before? No, I'm suspicious about everything he says. (laughs) Is his name even Dan Hannon? Yeah. I think he did nothing with his phone whilst he was out on his walk, as many a civilised person would not. Then he, oh, when he got off. back home, fuck he off. tweeted That's how that much same he enjoyed his Twitter walk politeness bullshit. and gave us a nice country pic to give us a scene of what he'd seen. That he specifically didn't see. Not only, not, and I think that's the important bit here, right? He didn't just pick a generic English thing. He no. picked a Welsh field <laughs> and called it English. If he had, If he had been in Yorkshire... And said it was in Hampshire. I'm sure Yorkshire people would get annoyed that it wasn't in Yorkshire. Yeah. But, you know, that's it. Um, he specifically tied the picture to Englishness. Mm. Like, these... Uh, uh, Andrew Lillico, is he Politico? Uh, he rings a bell. It might um, have just rhymed with Politico. It's so. some, some economic think tank online. Like, so, so he, is, he is trained to read textual sources and pick out the nuance. The reason why he was tweeting about that is because he's trying to make a larger point about Englishness and the beauty of England and tie himself in to that yeah. thought form, that mass of, of opinion, of like pseudo-patriotic bullshit, right? He could tweet a picture of a pint, and he said pie as well. Yeah. A pie. What's more English than meat wrapped in pastry? He well, talks about drinking real ale a lot as well. Yeah, yeah, exactly, that thing. Like, that thing that isn't quintessentially English at all, but has been tied into a massive collective delusion <laughs> that nowhere else in, in the world eats meat wrapped in pastry or fucking <laughs> drinks alcohol at all or no, beer. they don't. Um... To kind of not like to try. I mean, I know he is trolling. Like Andrew Lillico is 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 trolling that guy. It's no, it's, it's bad, very he's very, arguing bad. He's faith arguing he's in bad faith. Yeah. But like, it's fucking clear. Yeah. That he is tying those two things together. Yeah. It's um. Well, the thing is, Dan Hannon. He may you don't really see him much on British TV. No, you see him a lot on American TV though. Don't you? Yeah. Criticizing the NHS and its death panels. Yeah. So you know, next time you see him on TV saying something, just think: Is he actually there on the TV? <laughs> Or is he, or is the picture of him on the TV a composite image of people from Wales twenty years ago to evoke <laughs> the notion of Dad Haddon? <laughs> he's such a pillock. But also, he's, he's one of those kind of conservatives. That I bet you he does consider Glamorgan to be part of England. Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, he's he's big on that like local democracy mm. stuff. You know the stuff where they say that it will make it like make it like break the UK down into easier bite-sized pieces. Well, yeah, so the very specific for kind my, of English for my fucking hedge fund friends to ruin more successfully because <laughs> they'll only have to deal with a local council rather mm. than a parliament. Well, it's very specific 
English, and I see, yeah, it is English conservatives mm. that really do love localism, but really, really dislike the Welsh Parliament and the Scottish Parliament. It's like a, yeah, they want to break it down into parishes mm. because they remember parishes, mm. you know, but run by an Englishman. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Dan Hannan, liar. Like Dan Hodges. Well, Dan Hodges, I don't know if he lies. I don't know if he's got the capability to lie. No, because if he was lying, he'd be right more often. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. Just <laughs> it would Always be... remember, Dan Hodges is equal to wrong. <laughs> so therefore, if he's lying, he'd be right. At that's least some of the time well, within the range of options presented to him. Dan Hodges, Simple physics, mate. Dan Hodges has got, an, I, think, I think nearly all of his last bunch of predictions have been wrong. Every prediction he's ever made has been wrong since mm. he became a since he became a columnist. Yeah, since he started having opinions. Yeah, when he was for first, money. When he was first put into that paddling pool full of his own shit and started reacting to external stimuli. By his mother. <laughs> no, I've got a sneaky suspicion right now she'd probably hold him down under the pool of shit. <laughs> anyway. Yeah. All right. So, yeah, that was episode 21. Mm. All done. Oh. Uh, as usual, you can follow us uh, at WDTATW underscore podcast. Um, you can follow uh, Hugh at Tanner Smashing, and you can follow me at BM Bergamo. Subscribe to us on iTunes. Um, any kind of feedback or anything. Yeah. Any Chris, idea- if I say anything, if I say anything too objectionable, <laughs> tell me. I try yeah. not to say anything too objectionable that isn't intended. We'll take it to Twitter court. Yeah. <laughs> um, um, anything that really does upset me, know that I will kneel on broken glass and self-criticise. <laughs> In your huge dunce's hat. Yeah. Yeah, we'll make sure. I had one and made for spinning, me on Etsy. And your spinning bow tie. <laughs> um, yeah, subscribe to us on iTunes. Leave, us any, leave any feedback on things you want us to cover or mistakes we've made. There have been many. Yep. Because um, we're doing this off the hoof. Off, yep. our, head, off our brains. So uh, we'll get the stuff wrong all the time. Um, yeah, so that's it for episode 21. Thanks, guys. Bye. Oh.
Since they amputated my foot 